from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Cha. Potential exoneration for Lamar Johnson. This is a rather historic moment in this court. This is the first time in the history of the 22nd Judicial Circuit where the court is hearing an actual innocence claim filed by a prosecuting attorney. This week's hearings are the result of new evidence and a new law. It all represents a significant moment in Missouri's criminal justice system, and that's how Charlie Weiss, special assistant to the circuit attorney's office, began his opening remarks on Monday. The St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office, led by Kim Gardner, has been making its case to overturn the conviction of Lamar Johnson. Johnson has spent the last 28 years serving a life sentence for murder and was sent there by the same prosecutor's office that's now working to exonerate him. The hearings this week are delivering courtroom drama, but more importantly, it could deliver some measure of justice for a man who insists, along with his supporters, that he was convicted of a murder someone else has already confessed to. Here to walk us through the backstory to these hearings and what might happen next is St. Louis Public Radio's justice reporter, Rachel Lipman. Rachel, welcome to the program. Happy to be here, Elaine. Lamar Johnson was convicted of first-degree murder in 1994. Why are we talking about this case now, some 28 years later? Elaine, this is a conversation that actually began back in 2019, and that is when St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner filed a motion asking for a new trial in Lamar Johnson's case. This was one of the first cases her new conviction integrity unit had uh, looked at. And she said that in the review of the case and looking through some files within the circuit attorney's office, she had come up with new evidence that Lamar Johnson was actually innocent of the crime, not that there was just some misconduct that may have led to an unfair fair trial, but like you mentioned, that somebody else had actually uh, uh, committed the crime. So she requested a new trial back in 2019. Ultimately, what happened was that courts ruled that while they were sympathetic to the arguments Gardner was making about Johnson's actual innocence, that there was no mechanism for her to request this new trial, that she was well beyond the deadline set by the court for prosecutors to make that motion. Mm. Then in 2021, lawmakers approved a bill that gives prosecutors the authority to address wrongful convictions. And Gardner filed a motion in August 2022 under that new law. That is what set these hearings in motion. So back when Johnson was convicted, you just mentioned that there was new evidence and then, you know, this confession that came. What was the evidence that prosecutors had? Back in 1994 and 1995, as the case was working this way through the justice system, prosecutors had the testimony of an eyewitness who was with the victim, Marcus Boyd, the night that he was killed. But that man, Greg Elking, has repeatedly said he was pressured into identifying Johnson as the shooter. There was also the testimony of a jailhouse informant who said in communications with Johnson in in jail and prison that Johnson had been the one to kill Boyd. But there was also evidence that that person had been uh, in the past paid for or, uh, you know, given incentives for cooperation and therefore did not have the, uh, you know, was not always truthful because there were uh, financial motives to it. Mm-hmm. And the alleged motive for this killing, 
What was it? The alleged motive that prosecutors have laid out in the past was uh, a drug debt or uh, some dispute over drug sales. All of the players involved in this were either uh, drug users or drug dealers. And the two individuals who uh, Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner now believes committed the crime felt that they had been cheated by the victim, Marcus Boyd, in this case. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, it was also quite a small amount of money that was uh, that was being fought over. I don't know the amount of the money that is being fought over. You know, it's obviously people have their own understanding of what if it's a small amount or how they feel wronged within a, a certain situation. But whatever the amount of money was, it was enough that these individuals believed that Marcus Boyd needed to pay for cheating them. Mm-hmm. Now, Johnson's case seemed shut for many years. And then, as you'd mentioned before, in 2019, Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner announced that her office had found evidence of Johnson's innocence. Can you talk a little bit more about that evidence that she brought? In court filings and in in the court hearings, Gardner says her investigators found files in the circuit attorney's office where that eyewitness, Greg Elking, was allegedly paid more than $4,000 to pick Johnson out of a lineup, which would basically mean that the police officers or the prosecuting attorney at the time provided him the money either in uh, services, housing, etc., or just directly in cash. But they alleged that the documentation for those payments was never given to Johnson's defense attorney even though Johnson's lawyers apparently had evidence that it had been made and was requesting it repeatedly over the years. That, of course, would have called into question Greg Elking's motives for identifying Lamar Johnson as the murderer. And the focus of these hearings is the murder trial that put Lamar Johnson in prison with a life sentence. What is it that is being examined in the hearings Basically, what this hearing is, is uh, an opportunity for the judge, David Mason, to weigh the evidence that Gardner has of Lamar Johnson's actual innocence. She is presenting, for example, the evidence that the uh, eyewitness was paid. She is presenting the testimony of a man who says he was the one that killed Lamar Johnson that night, all of which would is designed to show David Mason that Lamar Johnson is actually innocent of the crime and that his conviction should be vacated. In that case, basically what Gardner is wanting to do is once that conviction is thrown out, she will not recharge Lamar Johnson with the crime. Now, the Missouri Attorney General's office under Eric Schmidt is defending and has been defending the original conviction. What are the arguments, Rachel, that the attorney general's attorneys are making Essentially, that there was no police or prosecutorial misconduct, that the money Greg Elking received was not for his uh, identification of Lamar Johnson, but handed after the fact to say, you know, uh, we will provide you safety and protection. That is something that uh, the state is required to do for its witnesses. They are saying that the man who confessed to the crime uh, in court, actually, has nothing to lose by getting up and identifying himself as the killer of Lamar Johnson because he himself is in prison on an additional murder charge. Uh, They are essentially defending the original case, the original evidence, the original witnesses. Mm -hmm. This is not the first time a Missouri inmate is getting this kind of unique hearing. There was also the Kansas City case of Kevin Strickland, 
whose conviction was vacated after he spent over 40 years of his life in prison. What connections or similarities do you see between Kevin Strickland's case and the one now playing out around Lamar Johnson in St. Louis? For me, it is the zealousness with which the attorney general's office is defending these convictions. I understand that the state, who is ordinarily the prosecutor in this case, has to have someone fighting for its side of the argument. But just the aggressiveness with which the attorney general is doing this and is raising issues such as a coat that they allege the circuit attorney did not turn over and a record of the coat that didn't actually exist when they made this request. There's just a certain zealousness with which the attorney general defends these cases where it's almost as if he can't admit that prosecutors can sometimes get it wrong. Mm -hmm. There has been a lot of coverage of these hearings. Of what you have heard uh, and read, Rachel, is there a moment from the proceedings so far that has really stood out to you? I think it was in coverage that I read when Judge Mason asked Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner whether she would charge the man who confessed to killing Marcus Boyd with murder. And she said that that case was being reviewed. Now, it may seem like that case, it would be a slam dunk because he has confessed to it. I know there would be plenty of other things that would weigh into the decision whether or not to convict. But that just struck me as an interesting question. Did she think about it in the lead up to this, that she has a person in court confessing to this murder under oath? What do you do with that information in terms of future criminal prosecution? There seems to be a strong contingent of folks who think that these hearings will be a slam dunk for Lamar Johnson's exoneration. Yesterday, key witness Greg Elking said, I lied. And the judge responded, that's all they need to hear. What do you make of of that? What does that seem to suggest to you? As I understood it, that came in the context of whether there would need to be expert testimony related to how police detectives got Greg Elking to identify Johnson as the man who killed Marcus Boyd. Now, that could, of course, indicate that Judge Mason is leaning towards Uh, believing that Lamar Johnson is actually innocent and, uh, you know, throwing out the conviction or vacating or setting aside this conviction. But uh, I I haven't seen enough of the trial to know how the attorney general is handing, picking apart inconsistencies or how Judge Mason is reacting to the arguments from the attorney general. Does it seem like people are interested in what is happening here with Lamar Johnson? I think any time that you have, uh, you know, attention is always paid to wrongful convictions, uh, actual innocence, mistakes within the justice system, police and prosecutorial misconduct. I think any time you have a prosecutor's office coming flat out and saying, yes, we messed up here and we want to correct the wrongs that we appear to have inflicted on this gentleman, it is going to get attention. Now, whether that attention sort of wears off as these laws get used more and more often will have to be seen. But generally speaking, I feel like most of these cases are likely going to be higher profile ones that have already generated some attention 
throughout the years because activists have gotten a hold of them. That was certainly true with Kevin Strickland in Kansas City. That's been true of Lamar Johnson's case in the St. Louis area. These two cases were already fairly high profile because there had been questions you know, well before this law was passed as to whether these gentlemen had committed the crimes for which they were convicted. Mm-hmm. And so this newly passed law that creates room for Missouri's criminal justice system to examine and reverse past decisions, you know, it is a new measure, and you use the term self-correction. How significant is this I mean, again, any time that you give prosecutors the ability to, you know, self-correction, the phrase that we have both used, is an important thing. People are valuable, and the justice system is based on people. So giving the ability to correct wrongs that have been inflicted on individuals is certainly important. And again, this is the second case under which this law has been used to attempt to correct the problem. So any time that you can fix wrongs that the justice system, which is made up of valuable people, has inflicted on people is, is certainly significant. And, you know, allowing that mechanism to exist, the fact that lawmakers did go through and pass this law, both for Kevin Strickland and for Lamar Johnson, Anytime lawmakers get involved, especially in a Republican supermajority state, to do something like this is definitely significant. So what happens next here? As I understand it, the hearing will last for the rest of this week. Then Judge Mason will go over the evidence that he has, both from the testimony at the hearings and in briefs and other documents that both sides have submitted. And then he will make a decision as to whether he believes there is enough evidence of actual innocence to vacate Lamar Johnson's conviction. And the stakes for this? Uh, The stakes, obviously, are whether Lamar Johnson remains in prison for the rest of his life, which was the sentence that he received, or whether he is able to re-enter society as a free man. Rachel Lippman, justice reporter for St. Louis Public Radio. Thank you so much. Thanks, Elaine. episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.